led his followers to commit suicide by drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Now, I say that just recounting the details as I remember them when it happened and made the news. Some of you are with me with that. You go, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I was in the Army at the time, and I had a buddy who told me uh, that he had an aunt who had been part of that group. And she had left before that happened. And he was so glad, he and the family were so glad that she had, because whatever it was about this guy, he had been pretty compelling as a speaker. And I had a pastor who had heard him preach once. He, the guy, Jim Jones, before he went off and became a cult leader, was an evangelical Bible preacher. You go, wow, how'd that happen? But the pastor said during that sermon, he took his Bible and he threw it behind him and said, this book gets, or that book gets in my way. Actually, I think that's really good theology. <laughs> this, book, this book will get in your way. If this book doesn't get in your way, then you are not paying attention to this book. There are things in my life I would do if this book didn't tell me I couldn't do them, and there are things that I should do that I wouldn't do if the book didn't tell me I should do them. This book gets in my way. The problem is, what do you do when the book gets in your way? <laughs> See, do you, when the book gets in your way, do you pay attention to the roadblock it throws up, or do you plow over it, right? Uh, and that's the question we find. I, I remember when the, that pastor, Charlie Smith, back in Spokane, uh, shared that story, and I thought, he's right. It does get in your way. The, the Bible gets in your way. Uh, except for a lot of people, it simply doesn't because they don't pay attention to what it says. They see what it says, they ignore what it says, and they move on. Uh, it's, it's, uh, they don't let it get in their way. Now, I'm going to change from that to something lighthearted. Trivia question, what is the last word in the Bible? Now, here's the trick. If you don't know the answer, if you know the answer, then you know the answer. If you don't know the answer and you're trying to think of what it is and you think it's a sneaky trick question, you'll never get the right answer. But if you think it's an obvious question and the most likely word for the last word in the Bible is the last word in the Bible, then you'll get it right because it's amen. <laughs> right? And, and you know, amen. And, and it's, uh, the thing is, is, is the last word is, is amen, not just of the book of Revelation, but it's the last word in the Bible. And, and, and that's where we are today is, is the last words in the Bible, the last look last message in the Bible, and, and we want to pay attention to all of them. I'm going to set these aside. These, by the way, are Bibles that could be thrown away and not do a great lot of, you know, loss to the earth, but we'll, <laughs> we'll share them in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to look at these last messages of, of Revelation. We're going to look at them in reverse order because I want to focus on the part about the book. I'll start at verse 18 and read through the end of the book. I warn everyone, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. We're going to look at them in reverse order. In reverse order they are, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, after amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The desire for Jesus to come soon. The statement that he will come soon. And then, don't mess with this book. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And we're mostly going to look at that last one and see how easy it is and how prevalent the desire is to change God's word to fit what we would prefer it to say for whatever reason. 
Okay, so verses 20 and 21, the very last things, he says, I am coming soon, and come, Lord Jesus. And, and this is the last of three mentions in this chapter that Jesus is coming soon. We saw it in verse 7, we saw it in verse 12, I am coming soon. Uh, and we covered it pretty well last week, and I don't want to dwell on it a whole lot. I think the message is less that he's coming soon, is that he's coming quickly, or when he comes it will be sudden. And, and, and the way it's put here, interestingly enough, it is as a warning. Right? I am coming soon. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, uh, you're going to, gonna, uh, and, and to adds to it, you're going to get plagues. Anybody who it takes away from it, uh, you're going to get, get uh, things taken away from you. I'm coming soon. Right? The way it's written, it's written as a warning. But John, he hears it, and he hears it with thirst. He hears it with hunger. He says, come, Lord Jesus. Just, just come, and, and, and we find his response is, is a great response because John's not adding to his word or taking it away. John is not fearful of the Lord's coming. He is, he is, he is hungry for it. He is thirsty for it. And, and he says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. He doesn't have the word soon or quickly. He just wants Jesus to come. The details around it are not what he's, he's, he's with. I want to tell you something. I have a hard time praying that prayer. Because guess what? I have loved ones who do not know Christ. And, and, and if Jesus comes, then their shot is, is, is over. Their chance is gone. Uh, John, who knew Jesus best, wanted him badly. And you hear the desire in that. He doesn't care what's involved, whether or not it's quickly. He just says, come, Lord Jesus. And, and then be, just before that, we have the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. What a great prayer. The Lord, grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Sometimes it's grace to stand up in time of struggle. Sometimes it's grace to rejoice. Uh, it's just simply grace to give God the praise that he deserves. Uh, it's a summary at the end of the book, right? He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Very last thing, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. That's the summary of this book. <laughs> what you need most. They, they, you know, it's, they, it's not like they saved the best for last. He's repeating the best at last. We need the grace of Christ. Without the grace of Christ, everything doesn't matter, and it's a really good ending to the book. But I'm going to come back to the part I want to hammer. Don't mess with this book, verses 18 and 19. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the curses of the book. If anyone takes away from them, God will take away from him the blessings in this book. You could respond and say, that's kind of harsh. Uh, I'm not sure why you're coming across so hard. But it, I'll tell you something without going into defending or, or excusing or anything like that. It does tell us something about what God thinks about his word. He says, this is my word. Don't you mess with my word. And let me tell you something about God's word. Why would you want to change it? Uh, as, I'll let you know something about myself. I am an editor. The newsletter that we put out once a month, I do a ton of editing in that thing. I edit. I, if somebody gives me a submission, I edit it. I look at it. Sometimes I edit spelling and grammar. Sometimes I edit, edit uh, for size. Some, sometimes, on rare occasions, I will edit for content. Uh, but that's, that's pretty rare because I don't want to change those things. But I edit all the time. When we have mission, Pastor Daniel... 
I try to leave his as much as he sends them when, when he sends us letters, but I edit things. For one thing, he always starts out, Dear Pastor Reverend Steve McLaughlin, and if you know me at all, you know I just really hate that phrase, Reverend. <laughs> so when you see it, it doesn't say that, because <laughs> I don't like that, <laughs> right? And, and so I edit that out. Sometimes you read his thing, and you have to read it three times to, to understand what he's saying, and so I'll rearrange some words, and I'm editing it. Edit, editing, I'm not editing it, I'm editing it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about my enunciation. Uh, I edit myself. Uh, Wanda and I, when we do the newsletter, we pull out the red pen and we edit each other. We look for mistakes. We correct them. Now, why do we do this editing? The answer is to make it better. Right? When you edit something, you are trying to fix mistakes and make it better. And so you're fixing grammar, punctuation, spelling. Sometimes, sometimes you simply edit for size. I'll get something from a missionary this long, and I have this much space. So I'll go through and I'll try to find in the content what's the most important part that, that, that this missionary that we want to know, and I'll, I'll put it in there like that. Sometimes it's for size. Uh, sometimes, on, on rare occasions, things really are in, in, uh, inappropriate. When Pastor Daniel was here last time, he brought a video. He brought a couple of videos. And he says, I want you to see these. I don't know if we want everybody else to see them. And he showed me them, and I said, we don't want everyone else to see them. I mean, these things were graphic and horrible, right? And, and some of you may say, well, I think I might, it might be important for me to see them. Well, you know, you're just going to have to get them from another source. Uh, because, because I said, that's, that's I'm, you know, it's bad. And so we edited for content. Some, but, but you know, typically when you are editing something, you try not to change the context. But we hear all the time where politicians do that for each other and pull phrases out of context to make them sound bad. And, and, and you realize if you pull this part of a sentence out and not that part, and of course with, with the tech, technical ability that they have today, you can have somebody making a speech that he never made and saying things he never said. Uh, but always, always, editing is trying to make things better. So apply that to God's word. And if you start editing God's word, one of the, one of the principles of, of theology, theology meaning the knowledge of God or the doctrine of God or what the Bible teaches about God, is that God cannot change. And the logic of, that supports that is really easy. He is perfect, and if you change what is perfect, it is no longer perfect. You can't change perfection and make it more perfect because it's already perfect and perfect is perfect. And so what are we saying about God's word if we think we can improve it? If we think by changing it, somehow we'll make it better. Do you, do you really think you are up to that challenge? <laughs> See, when, when I say it that way, you go, no, no, of course not. Who would ever do that? Why would people do that? Sometimes people with a clear agenda do that kind of thing. Uh, the... Uh, Let's see. I, I gotta make sure I don't jump ahead of myself. Um, uh, grammar. I, I said grammar punctuation. Gender neutral. Gender neutral. I brought. I bought this Bible for my son Ben when he was at Christian Heritage and doing a report. This is so. This Bible is about twenty years old. It's called the New Testament and Psalms: An Inclusive Version. You say, well, what does inclusive mean? Well, I'll read for you enough for you to understand what the inclusive Bible says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father, Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Wow. 
Your dominion come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You want to know what's really interesting about this Bible? Is if you turn one page, you read this. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What did they forget between this page and this page? They didn't forget anything. They chose to improve the Bible based on what they thought it said. You go to the back of this book, not the Psalms, which they have, but Revelation chapter 22, and you read this. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, the book of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. How did they miss that? They put it in. They, how could they miss it? And the answer is they didn't miss it. They chose not to believe it. They chose not to respect it. And so they changed God's word knowingly, willingly, and published it. What do you think? What do you think about that? People with an agenda do this thing. I've got another agenda here. By the way, this Bible used to be in with my other Bibles, but my other Bibles had a meeting and came and asked me to move it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's in another little section on my shelf. <laughs> this one is way over on it. This is the uh, New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. This is another Bible with an agenda. The first agenda is to make you get really good reading glasses. <laughs> Holy moly, I forgot about this. Uh, in the beginning, the Word was, was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And, and if you're not familiar with that, uh, every... I've looked it up. First thing I do when a new Bible comes out, comes out, just so I can add to my number, and I think I'm up to like 17 or 18 now, different translations of the Bible that I've read John 1, 1 in. And they all say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not a God. But they have an agenda they want to they get across. So they have intentionally changed Scripture to match what they want to say. And, and, and so they do that. And so they, those are examples of people with an agenda intentionally changing Scripture. Uh, they, 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 the, the, the outsiders do it. right? By outsiders, I mean people who are outside the church. The LGBTQ uh, group will try to quote scripture or try to say the Bible says and what's amazing to me is when they get on on Facebook or something they'll say the Bible never says this and you look at it and you go yes it does <laughs> or they'll say the Bible says this and you look at it and you go no it doesn't I remember this is this is a whole different category but I remember when I was in Bible college witnessing on God they sent us to Gonzaga campus to witness <laughs> and so we're witness witnessing to these people at Gonzaga and I run into this guy who's, who he says uh well, I, I believe this about, you guys don't believe this about Mary, but I believe this about Mary. And I said, well, I'd believe it if it was in the Bible. He says, well, it's in the Bible. And I said, well, could you show me? He goes, well, I don't know where it is, but it's in there. And I said, well, you know, I've read the Bible, and I never came across that. He says, well, you didn't read it very well because it's in there. I said, well, could you show me where it is? He says, no, I can't because I don't know where it is, but it's in there. <laughs> I said, well, I've read it. It's not in there. He says, I haven't read it, but it is. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> He had an agenda. He was going to believe his agenda before he accepted anything else. 
Uh, and uh, there, his agenda moved him. Aryan nations, I, this is one I didn't keep, I threw it away, but it was an Aryan nation's defense of their beliefs, trying to show scriptural support for Aryan nations, white supremacists, hatred between the races, whatever you want to call it. And it was, it was horribly bad. It was so bad I didn't even put it in with my bad stuff. Right? It was just, I thought, I don't want that on my shelf. And there's times when I regret it. I wish I could bring it out so I could, 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 could show how bad it is, but it's, I, I just couldn't make myself keep it because it was that bad. Atheists love to use the Bible. Uh, Isaac Asimov, famous science fiction writer of previous decades, is, was an atheist who wrote a commentary on the Bible. He wrote an atheist's commentary on the Bible. Didn't believe a word of it. But he wrote a commentary on it. I don't understand. I never, by the way, read his commentary. I just know he did it. But those people at least are outsiders. They're outside of Christianity. They don't fit within the, the, the realms of what we call the church. And, and they try to do it because somehow they think by using, if they can use the Bible against us, they're gaining something. But more troubling is the insiders, people who are within the church who disagree with the Bible. And I'm going to bring up one more time John's discussion with the, the pastor who doesn't believe in hell. And, and he's defended his, when John started coming to him and saying, well, Scripture says this, 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 he says, yeah, but we know, in, in the guy's defense, I'm seminary trained. <laughs> seminary is sometimes spelled with a T, cemetery, right? Not always. I'm not saying seminary necessarily is the death knell for, for Bible-believing preaching or Bible belief, but sometimes it is. Because, you know, in the typical seminary, it's very rare to find someone who believes in creation. It's very rare to find someone who finds, holds a strong belief in the inspiration of Scripture, the kind of thing you're hearing here that says this is God's word and we will yield to it. Right, uh, and, and it's hard, and it's hard for people to come out of it. And this guy, this man, came out of seminary, believing that the Bible is flawed, and hit, part of his job is to fix those errors, which is a, a highly speculative thing, because at that point he is responsible for knowing better than the Bible, and he is responsible. Somehow he thinks he can take the responsibility on him of making right what God got wrong. You know, implied in that statement that Jesus made that, that not one jot or tittle or not one stroke of a, you know, not one I dot or cross T, however you want to put it into modern English. And the, the, despite Jesus' word, uh, one of the things, because he said that, there is an implied protection of God's word. In order for him to say that, he has to then undertake the job of protecting it. So that when we get God's, God's word, we get God's protected word which is not a defense of all translations out there. Obviously, there are some bad translations out there, right? Uh, but, but there are an awful lot of good translations, and anyone who wants to read God's word in its truth has it available to them, at least in our language. That's one of the reasons we support Bible translations, so other people can get it in theirs. And God says, when you get this, it's my word, you listen to it. Uh, and, and, and we have that. It's a, it's a promise. It's implied promise by what he did. I knew a pastor who wouldn't teach. I've shared this, Revelation or Genesis 1 through 11, because he said it's all by, 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 by uh, vision, and, and we can't do anything with it. We can't trust it. We can't understand it. People redefine terms to remove contradictions between creation and old earth uh, creation, you know, the, the biblical creation and old earth creation. They do it by changing what words mean. They, they are rewriting the scripture. There are people out there who teach you can be saved, who try to use the Bible to teach that you can be saved without knowing who Jesus Christ is. 
And, and I had a, had a man take me once to, to Romans chapter 2 where it talks about uh, he is ex defended or, or condemned by his conscience. And I took him to the next chapter, chapter 3, where it says, Therefore we are all together condemned under sin. Both the guy, what it's talking about is both the guy under conscience and both the guy who isn't. And he wouldn't accept that. So I took him to Romans chapter 10, where he says, How can one be saved unless he hears? And how can one hear unless he... Uh, I can't even say it now. Uh, I think you know what I'm saying, but I'm going to fix it by getting it correct. It's always better to get it right. How then can they call on him in whom they have not uh, believed? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And he says, how can they believe in whom they have not heard? How can they hear unless someone is sent? How lovely are the feet of those who take good news so that they can hear, so that they can believe. The message is really simple. We need Jesus. And I took the guy there. And he wouldn't accept that because his idea and his interpretation was better. And God's word was not going to move him, right? Uh, people teach that. Uh, people within the, there are people within the four walls of church, and I'm, I don't know if you want to call it capital C or small C or whatever it is. There are people within the four walls of church who seem to think they can dismiss or ignore what the word of God says, uh, whatever part they decide should be dismissed or ignored. We cannot allow ourselves to do that. And when they do that, what do they think they're doing? They think they're fixing mistakes or making improvements. People back then, they didn't know what we know now. Now we know more. We're better now. And I hope the arrogance of that statement bleeds through. Go, well, I'm safe. I would never do that. Do you know how long the history of revising God's word goes? How far back it goes. You know, we all know the first sin was eating the fruit. Because there was only one commandment they could possibly violate. That was don't eat the fruit of the tree. But did you know that the history of, of revising God's word goes back prior to that? Genesis chapter 3. Before Eve ate the fruit, she changed scripture. And I don't know if it's Eve's fault, by the way. Many of us are aware of this, but it might be new to you. So, so uh, I'll just start reading in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of this tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And if you're not aware, that whole phrase, lest you die, is, is added, because here's what God said. Um, in verse, chapter 2, as soon as I find it, I thought I wrote it down, but I don't see it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden and of Eden and to work and keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So all God said was don't eat of it. He didn't say don't touch it. Now then God put Adam to sleep and made, made a woman. So Eve heard this commandment from Adam. We don't know if Adam said, uh, Eve, don't eat the fruit of that tree or even touch it. Or if Eve told Adam, don't eat of it, and Eve, in her own sense of protection, gave this extra word, don't touch it either, or you shall die. But it was in addition to God's word. And either way, it's easy to see why it was done. It was done for, for protection. 
It was done to create a barrier between me and the tree that I will way, I will way not eat of it if I, know, if I don't believe I can even touch it. So I'm going to revise God's word just a little bit to make it better to protect me more. And I'm adding rules to God's word, right? Now, if you have a conviction about something, follow your conviction. Don't teach your conviction as scripture, right? Understand the difference between your personal conviction and what the scripture actually says. All you are allowed to teach is scripture. You are not allowed to teach your conviction. Unless if you are so convicted that you need to do it, then say, I know here's what scripture teaches, but here's what I do. And make sure there is a distinction between you and scripture because you do not want to pretend to improve God's word. And it goes back to Eve. And when we look at Eve and we see the motives that either Eve had or Adam had, we understand the motives and, oh no, have I done that myself? Have I created rules that I equate with scripture to protect myself from doing wrong? And that's a good motivation to do it. But it's, you know what it does? Is it says, I can't trust God's word alone. I need to fix it. I need to make it better. It, you know, in our world today, we tend to, our world is, you know how the pendulum swings. There was a time when the pendulum was swinging over here and they had marks on the door in church and you came in and there was a mark, ladies, and your skirt better reach down to that mark or else you were out of, you were not properly modest, right? Uh, and there was a time when, uh, I mean, you could just go through all the, 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 the head coverings and the, the uh, I mean, there's just all sorts of guys. By the way, the Gideons are the only guys here properly dressed. Well, Mike still has his tie on. <laughs> uh, because of the suit and tie thing. And, and, and the rest of us are just horrible slobs who apparently don't respect the house of God. And you go, well, I thought we weren't having rules. Well, we aren't. And I don't think Jesus is bothered at all. <laughs> but that's where we are in the, in the pendulum swing of things, right? Uh, and uh, But... We've got to be careful because once upon a time they were overly strict. We are in a time when it's really easy to be overly loose. And the Bible says this, but, but I do this. Well, why do you do this? Well, we just don't believe that way. Why don't you? You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose, I'll believe this. See, and what I'm saying, you know, in Sunday school I was talking about the laws in, in, in the Deuteronomy and why they don't apply to us today, or not, I mean, this is Deuteronomy at the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, why they don't apply to us today or how they don't apply to us today. And there's a reason behind it, and it makes a lot of sense, and we understand that. And so we can eat bacon, right? And we can, um, I don't know, other things. <laughs> there's rules we don't have to follow that they are given then. And, and, and so we have more freedom. We have less rules and things like that. But it, 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 we're not taking away from God's word. We're understanding it the way it is given. Uh, we don't get to simply say, well, I don't believe that part, so I don't do that. Or we don't follow that because we're Christian. You better have a better understanding of it than that. Uh, you better have a better grasp of it than that. It's fascinating that the first time we see God's word quoted, it is a misquote very first time we ever see God's word quoted, it, they got it wrong. Not just wrong as in they, they forgot and bung, bungled a word, but completely changed it. 
whether Adam did it or Eve, they thought God's word needed just a little tweaking. And God says, if that's the very first mistake we find, the very last warning we find is don't do that. That thing that you've been doing since creation, that one out of two people at least, or maybe two out of two people <laughs> were doing back then, don't do it now. Thousands, it was thousands of years later. Thousands of years later that Jesus said, uh, our scripture reading in Matthew 5, 17 and 19, the one that that Bible actually has pretty well. Isn't that remarkable? Matthew 5, 17 to 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then we get to the end of the book where he says, You take away from my word, I'm taking away your blessings. You add to my word, I'm adding curses, right? He's, he is giving these, these horrible threats, warnings. Uh, you know, there's a promise that God will protect his word so that what we have is trustworthy. Uh, it's one of the things we have to choose to believe or not. We, it, uh, there's all sorts of things. I mean, I, I, I do classes on why we can trust God's word, on the things that show it's reliable, on how it... It hasn't changed on how it's true to the original scripts, on how, why we can believe it's, it's inspired by God, and there's all sorts of evidence for that. But ultimately, you have to decide. I'm either going to believe this word or I'm not. And then we have the, the Jews. You know, by the way, if Jesus said this, if Jesus said this in the year 30 or 29 or 28 or whatever year he said that, it was because there was a need for people to hear it in the year 28 or 29 or 30. The people then needed to hear, don't, don't mess with God's word, because they were doing it. And the Jews of that time were famous for all the rules they added to be scripture. And so we find you can only walk this far on the Sabbath, or you can only carry this much of a load, or you, you know, it's okay for you to, to do this, but not to do this. And they, they defined and, and split hairs and made it hard. And today people make both mistakes, and they add to it, and they take it away. Uh, and they seem to do it without fear. Adding to scripture, by the way, if you walk around and say there's only one inspired version of the, of the Bible in English, okay, you have added to scripture something it doesn't say. Because God never said that. That's a man thing. Taking away, let me tell you what parts of the Bible are relevant and apply to you today. Uh, don't do that. Uh, you know, and, and, and God isn't going to change his word. There will be no Bible 2.0. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not running tests to see how acceptable it is. It is what it is. And so we come back to what God actually says, Revelation 22, 18 through 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Part of being human is we like to tweak things. We like to improve them and make them better. That's why the 2020 Lexus is better than the 2019 Lexus. I wouldn't know. 
but they're at least making that claim, right? Now, as far as I know, there aren't many problems with the 2019, <laughs> you know, aside from, you know, the things that happened. But, but we always want to change them because we always feel, you know, we feel styles change. Anybody want the 80s to come back? <laughs> big hair, big clothes. That was the 70s and 60s. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's. I, I apologize. My bad. <laughs> the very first mistake we find in the Bible is changing God's word. The very last thing we find in the Bible is don't change. God's words. One of the hardest acts of faith we can ever do is to leave God's word alone when we feel like it's not safe. That is an act of faith. Take that act of faith. Trust God's word. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us a true and reliable word. Father, I praise you for, the, in, in our language, we have so much, such a wealth of your word. Father, I pray that we don't just have it, that we live it, that we obey you and follow you. I ask your blessing on each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and close our service.